Hello, Clear Skies Ahead listeners. This is Kelly Savoy, and I'm hoping you can take a moment of your time to rate and review our show wherever you listen to podcasts. We have produced over 60 episodes, and you can help us reach even more individuals that will benefit from the diverse experiences shared by our guests. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this new episode. Welcome to the American Meteorological Society's podcast series, Clear Skies Ahead, conversations about careers in meteorology and beyond. I'm Kelly Savoy, and I'm here with Matt Mull, and we'll be your hosts. We're excited to give you the opportunity to step into the shoes of an expert working in weather, water, and climate sciences. We're happy to introduce today's guest, Alicia Wasula, president of STM Weather. Welcome, Alicia, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Alicia, could you tell us a little bit about what sparked your interest in science and how it influenced your educational path? Sure. So I think like a lot of meteorologists, I was always interested in science when I was a child. Um, I loved to read books about all kinds of science. I was a real bookworm. I originally was thinking when I got a little bit older that I might like to go into astronomy. But then when I started looking at colleges and careers, I realized that there's only a, a handful of those that are professional astronomers in the United States. Um, I think it was in the 60s at that time. So I kind of broadened my, my scope. Um, and then I actually began thinking that maybe I always liked looking into kind of like sleuthing or detective, you know, work. And so I thought that I wanted to do forensic science. And that ended up actually being something that I didn't realize there was quite so much in the way of chemistry involved. Um, so <laughs> that was another career path that I sort of, you know, decided against. And then, um, you know, I'd always been interested in the weather and I really enjoyed reading books about that too, but I didn't realize it was actually a viable career path until I started looking at colleges. So I'm probably one of the few meteorologists who came into this career, um, not knowing from early childhood that this is what I wanted to do. And so where did you end up going to school? Did you, um, get a degree in meteorology? Yes. So I um, am local to upstate New York, and I went as part of my college research to look at the University at Albany right here nearby me. And um, I realized what a great program they have. I actually hadn't even known that. Like I said, at the time I was looking at colleges, it wasn't um, really strongly on my radar as something that I considered as a major. But once I found it and I toured the department, um, I was really impressed with what I saw. I'm very interested. And so that's how I ended up going to school there. I actually stayed for graduate school as well and got my master's and PhD at the University at Albany as well. And so did you know that forensic meteorology was a thing at the time? So that's another really good question. Um, no, would be the answer. When I was an undergraduate, I had the opportunity to do, um, it was like a short fuse internship. So probably um, during a semester break or, or something like that for a few weeks um, with a local forensic meteorologist. And that was my first introduction to, um, to this area of meteorology as something as, you know, that people do as a career. And so, um, I found it really interesting, but actually at the time I did the internship, I really never thought about that as something that I was going to end up doing as a career either. So what opportunities did you pursue inside and outside of school that uh, you knew would be beneficial to securing a job in your profession? 
So I think for me, um, honestly, the, the teaching experience that I had in school and the opportunities to do undergraduate research um, gave me really good skills that I didn't necessarily know at the time would become so important in my career now in forensic meteorology. Uh, that whole idea of public speaking and explaining science concepts to people who, you know, maybe don't understand them just yet because they're students or not meteorologists uh, was something that I, like I said, didn't know I would need at the time, but it's become super important in what I do today. So what was your first job in the field and how did you end up where you are today? So also, this is a really interesting question. I have followed what some might consider a very non-traditional career path in the field of meteorology. Um, so when I finished my graduate school career and got my PhD, I had a six-month-old baby and my husband worked for the National Weather Service office here in Albany, New York. And we knew that we wanted to remain local. This is where both of our families are. And so um, back in the day before, you know, Zoom was a real thing, um, it really wasn't an option for me to travel far and wide for a job. Um, so what I ended up doing while my kids were young was teaching anywhere and everywhere I could. I did a lot of teaching um, on an adjunct basis at various local schools in the area. I went back to the department at the University at Albany, um, taught some upper level classes there. And I taught at a local community college. Uh, I developed a couple of classes there myself during my time. And so that's where I started. Um, I really like teaching at the community college because the, the demographics there of the students that I saw were really different compared to maybe a more traditional school. Could you walk us through a typical day on the job as president of STM Weather? Sure. So my, my usual answer to this question, which I get a lot, is that there is absolutely no, no typical day in my life. Um, so part of this is that I own a small business and I can tell you a little bit about how I came to be in ownership of this business. Mm -hmm. Um, I went from teaching to, you know, as my kids got a little bit older, um, I was looking for other types of work and there was a local meteorologist whom I had met at my undergraduate internship at the Albany Weather Service office and he had retired and he had started this company and was looking for some help. Um, he did it as a retirement business after his federal career and was getting a little bit busier than I think he probably wanted to be um, at the time. And so it worked out great. And I really benefited from having him as a mentor for three-ish years before he decided that he really wanted to retire for real from the private sector this time um, and sold me the business at that point. So today, now I'm in ownership of a small business, and that relates to your question about a typical day. And I said there is none. On any given day, I can be doing administrative work. Um, you know, I have some contract help to do things like bookkeeping and whatnot, but I still have to run payroll. I have one employee, um, you know, workload delegation, scheduling, all those kinds of things as a business owner you have to do by yourself. Um, I might be doing casework where I'm actually working on case research or writing a report, um, maybe doing trial testimony if that's required for a particular case. Uh, I could be doing volunteer work, so something similar to what we're doing here today, or maybe doing a school outreach talk. Um, that's something that I really feel strongly is important 
for us as meteorologists just to be involved in our local communities. And, you know, for me, I really enjoy going to schools and talking to kids about science. Part of our profile online is that we do have social media um, as the business. And so scheduling those posts and creating content, writing blogs would be another task that I might be doing. And then um, finally, I guess you could consider business development, you know, developing new products or services, thinking about hiring down the road, kind of looking long term into the business is another portion of time, which I don't get to spend nearly as often as I would like. But it's also an important part of running a successful business. So do you feel the teaching experience you had helped when, you know, in forensic meteorology, for instance, when you do expert testimony, do you think that was like really helpful to be able to speak in front of large groups? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the key is the type of communication that it is. So in my work, we are usually retained by attorneys um, and there's a whole spectrum of how well they understand science. And so even just working directly with attorneys before a case even goes to trial, I'm still explaining what I did for my research and how I came to conclusions about what happened with the weather in a particular case um, to a non-scientist. And so you not only have to be able to explain what you did and that your work is scientifically sound, but you also have to be able to explain it in a way that somebody who doesn't know any science could understand easily and in very quick bullet points because attorneys tend to be very busy people. So you have to really be able to condense it as well. Um, so yes, absolutely. The teaching helped me. So you said that, you know, you mentioned that you have to um, explain this sometimes difficult information to attorneys or even just property owners, so forth. What do you find is the biggest challenge with that? Like, what did you, have you learned that you really need to do? You mentioned something about the bullet points, but is there anything else that you found is, uh, is beneficial to reaching those people? Right. That's another really good question. So um, attorneys, I have learned, communicate in very different ways than we do as scientists. And so when I was in grad school and maybe writing a paper, um, I would always work on my figures. The images came first. And so you kind of tell your story through a series of images and then you draft the text around that. Um, but attorneys are word people. And so they prefer not to have to take the time to understand graphics unless it's really essential to a particular report. So I had to really learn um, during those first three years with my former boss how to shift my writing style to something that an attorney could understand. Um, and the same thing is true, I think, with oral communication, too. You kind of have to think about your audience and maybe where they're coming from or what level they're at in terms of their understanding and kind of craft how you communicate your research to that specific audience. So that was definitely something I had to learn when I first got into this, even coming from a teaching background. I guess it's it was definitely helpful to have a mentor there. For sure. And that's something I cannot stress enough um, is the importance of having a mentor and now having been in this for several years myself, serving as a mentor to people who are coming up um, as business owners, newer business owners, sort of you know behind me by a few years. Um, it's been something that's absolutely invaluable to my development as a business owner and as a scientist. And so that's something I always tell students about as well. So it sounds like you have lots of varied things going on. Do you have anything in particular that you like the most about your job? 
Well, you know, it's funny because I never really thought that I would say this, but I have to say that the variety of the work that I do is actually something that I've learned to find really gratifying. Um, I always thought that I was the kind of person who just would like to do the same thing and be very predictable day in and day out. But, you know, we see all kinds of cases walk in the door and you just never know. So um, I'm in the Northeast United States. We deal with a lot of slip and fall accidents or motor vehicle accidents on snow and ice. Um, but we see all different kinds of weather cases and some really interesting um, overlaps between meteorology and the law. Um, and so I think the variety of the work is one of the things that I really enjoy the most about what I do. And so what are some of the biggest challenges that you face in the field? So I would say that these um, generally relate to the business ownership side of things and less so to the meteorology and the research there. Um, one of the issues is that it's me and I have one employee, like I mentioned. And so there's two of us to handle the workload, which is entirely unpredictable. Um, there's a little bit of seasonality to it related to when attorneys tend to take their vacations during the year. So sometimes they'll get a little bit slower in the summer. And sometimes, you know, around the holidays, it'll slow down. But I'm just coming off of a holiday season where, you know, it was just an absolute flurry of activity those last couple of weeks of 2022. And um, so not having a good handle on how to anticipate work and, you know, knowing that there's only a couple of us to handle it, it it's a little bit unnerving at times. Um, and it doesn't help a planner like myself to really anticipate what's coming up down the pike. Um, another kind of concern, I guess, or challenge that I have faced is just dealing with clients. Um, sometimes clients don't want to pay and you have to go after them and, you know, chasing down, um, you know, if you need a document from a client and they're not getting back to you, dealing with these people skills um, in the, you know, from the perspective of business owner to client is, um, it's different and it's difficult. And so that's another challenge. Um and then I think the last one is probably related to the actual work um, with attorneys. And, you know, you're giving them an opinion about the meteorology for a particular case, but they are hoping to use that opinion to support their case and have a good outcome for their client. And so there's certain attorneys who will just sort of want to push your words um, a little bit outside of the scope of what your opinion really is. And so you have to be really <laughs> clear. <laughs> yeah. So you have to be really clear about setting your boundaries about what you're comfortable saying. Um, sometimes word changes really don't mean anything for a meteorologist, but legally there's certain implications. And usually those are fine um, and kind of, you know, indifferent to the opinion. But when they start asking you about your opinion and can you explain it this way or that way, you have to really be firm because the last thing you want to do is weaken your opinion by saying something that's outside of the scope of the science or outside of your wheelhouse as an expert. So you said that attorneys mostly like to see written things, but when you do expert testimony, if there's a jury, do you find that using visuals or graphs at that point is helpful or do you just yeah, do or so, do you just do what the attorney tells you to do <laughs> so sometimes now i will preface this by saying that most of what i do settles out of court so a very very small percentage of cases actually end up going to trial um and so 
usually before a trial, you'll have a pre-trial meeting with your attorney who um, sort of sets up what your direct examination may look like. And um, at that point, you can kind of talk about what graphics you feel may be helpful because explaining to a jury what how you came to your opinion is essentially like teaching. And so at that point, sometimes it becomes really helpful to have a graphic, but usually one or maybe two I've used, I think, at the most. It really has to be concise and easy to explain and easy to kind of blow up on a screen where people can can look at it and easily get the idea of what you're trying to convey. So it has to be with a lot of intention and purpose and help your um, direct exam go a little bit smoother. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. And you're providing testimony in civil and criminal litigation. Is that correct? Or? It's mostly civil. I've mostly only civil? Had, yeah, I've only had like one or two criminal cases and they did not involve trial testimony. Um, so what, what are some qualities and attributes that you feel uh, successful business owners in the field of forensic meteorology need to have? Okay, so first and foremost is good science. So you need to be able to do a really good case study analysis. And that involves knowledge of observational data sets. You need to understand where your data that you're going to base your opinion on comes from. Um, how is the site cited? How is it maintained? Is the data quality controlled? Because all of these things, if you don't know them, they can undermine your opinion if a case does end up going to court or even in a report. Um, so good science and also excellent communication. I mean, we've talked here today already about written and oral communication and um the both of those are super, super, super important. So I think those are probably the two biggest skills. And then on the business ownership side, you have to be sort of self-motivated and organized, <laughs> um, especially if you have, you know, an employee or more employees and you're trying to delegate workload and things like that. Um, and you have to be able to learn new things. I mean, sometimes you have a business problem that you don't know how to answer or solve and you have to do your homework and read some books and maybe learn some new software. And I've done all of that over the years that I've been a business owner. So you have to be able to keep learning um, even you know years down the road from when you first start doing this. So for our student listeners out there and early career professionals who may be looking to establish a career in your field, do you have any advice? Is there anything you wished you had done or glad you had done? Or are there any um, professional certifications that have been uh, helpful for you? So yeah, there's a couple of things. Um, first thing that I always, always, always tell students is to seek out opportunities, even if it's related to something that you may not think you want to do as a career. Um, just learn from people, make connections to people, those one-on-one -on -one connections, for example, with the forensic science um, meteorologist in the area that I did and my connection who was my former boss, I didn't know at the time, but you know, I met him doing an internship as an undergraduate at the National Weather Service. So I knew pretty quickly I didn't want to go into the National Weather Service at the start of that internship. I figured that out very early on. But those connections that I made came back years later, um, and I never would have known it at the time. So the more people you can learn from and the more experiences you can have, those are great. Um, so just look for internships, practice communication. 
and all types, but oral and written communication specifically to non-scientists. And it's pretty easy to find volunteer opportunities because everybody wants to know about the weather. So, you know, you can talk to school groups, you can talk in your community, um, answering questions on the fly like that when you get those groups is a really good way to learn how to communicate science to non-scientists. Um, and then finally, I would say that the AMS certification, the Certified Consulting Meteorologist certification is helpful um, if you do go into forensic meteorology and testify at court, any credentials that you have that help to describe your expertise as a meteorologist um, can kind of help you uh, be accepted as an expert by by a judge. And so um, the CCM credential is really important and specifically because it talks about your ethics. Um, one of the three components of that certification is ethics. And so by obtaining that certification, it attests to the fact that you're very um, ethical in your behaviors and what you do and how you communicate. Well, we're so grateful for everything you've told us about your career. However, before you go, we always ask our guests one last fun question at the end of our show. So what is your favorite food and why? <laughs> That's easy. That's the easiest question you've asked me. <laughs> so my favorite food is spaghetti and meatballs because I it was my favorite food growing up as a kid and my mom always made it as a comfort food. And so that's what I eat today when... I need that comfort food oh, it, too. It is such a comfort food. It that is. is one of my favorites as well. <laughs> you know, it's like nothing fancy, but whenever, you know, my son, I'm like, what What should we have? Should we just have spaghetti and meatballs? And he's like, eyes light up and he's like, oh yeah. You know, and with the garlic bread and all that. Yep. The yep. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolute best. Do you make your own sauce? Because I, I do not. But do you? I do. I do when I have time, but it's always better when mom makes it for me, even at the age that I'm at I now. Bet. <laughs> and, and the meatballs too. I, I never seem to be able to make them as good as my mom's meatballs. I don't know <laughs> what it is. I, I, I always try to follow the recipe, but it just never tastes quite as good. <laughs> uh, that's, that's because it's mom. <laughs> right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Alicia, and sharing your work experiences with us. You're welcome. I hope this answered a bunch of questions for some students and early careers out there. Well, that's our show for today. Please join us next time, rain or shine. Clear Skies Ahead. Conversations about careers in meteorology and beyond is a podcast by the American Meteorological Society. Our show is edited by Peter Trebke. Technical direction is provided by Peter Killalay. Our theme music is composed and performed by Steve Savoy, and the show is hosted by Matt Mall and Kelly Savoy. You can learn more about the show online at www.ametsoc.org forward slash clear skies. And you can contact us at skypodcast at ametsoc.org if you have any feedback or would like to become a future guest. 